0: Recorded live, Union Inn, Washington, D.C. 1112, 1114, 3rd Street, Northeast. We are steps to Nomegaludet Metro. Nice, brisk walk to Union Station. And a leisurely jaw to the Capitol, Capitol Hill. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddie, host extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to guestbook podcast Guestbook podcast ladies and gentlemen Let me tell you about a story about three four weeks ago I got a text saying hey congratulations you got somebody coming So I go and look at the message it says hey I design costumes, and my husband is a sound designer for Facebook. Your place looks amazing. We'd love to have you. Now, you have no idea how excited I was. So much so that normally I wait till people come before I tell them about the podcast because I don't want to scare them away after they book, like, hey, I got this podcast. They think it's some, like, big production or whatever. So I told her ahead of time, like, hey, i got to get your husband on. She's like, yeah, he's definitely got a lot of stuff to say. We'll see you when he comes. And guess what? He's here right now. <laughs> Scott Dugdale, how you doing?
1: I'm doing well, thanks for having me on.
0: Okay, so I guess the first question is, what does the profession of a sound designer specifically entail?
1: Well, it, in, it entails quite a bit. There's um, a couple of different ways you can look at it. I work um, primarily in a user interaction sound, um, sound design for user interfaces. So you know, buttons, clicks, notifications, uh, anything of that sort. But I've also worked uh, quite a bit in um, post-production sound design, which would mean more like sound effects, um, Foley work, designing sound for movies or film or video sound effects, anything like that for
0: post-production. So it could be both. How did you get into this profession? Because it's the first time I've ever heard about this.
1: It's um, <laughs> It's kind of a long story. I'll try to keep it short. I'm actually a musician by trade and started doing music. I got called back. I was a touring musician. and got called to do some music for some video games and at a company called Wave Group. My uh, fellow ex-band member from the 80s uh, had built the studio and was doing a lot of that work and it ended up being um, a five or six or seven year stint solid of creating all of the cover songs Playing keyboards, playing drums, producing, arranging, um, and arranging backup vocals, all that stuff for the first six or seven karaoke revolution games, the first four Guitar Hero games, and many more in between.
0: So what you're saying is the first four generations of Guitar Hero, if you played that, you were playing with Scott. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Continue. Chances
1: are if there were keyboards, definitely. If there were drums, most likely, but uh, we had a lot of fantastic drummers on that project. So yeah, it was an amazing thing to be a part of. The the musicians on all those projects are just, you know, some of the top notch studio musicians and composers in the business. I can imagine. It was just incredible. And um and we also that studio that created all those sounds and all that all the music. We were also doing sound effects in post-production and for video games, but also from the sound effects side. So we were all starting to also find designing sound from custom sources, either recording things or using synthesizers. So like um, a Red
0: Dead Redemption where somebody shoots somebody right, and you're like making just, the gun sound? Yeah,
1: either sourcing guns, going out to arranges, recording, or whatever, you know, there's, a, and or maybe if it's a sci-fi film, enhancing that with electronics and stuff. Or a sci-fi game so we we all started sort of developing our sound design chops as well i had never done it other than just synthesis Mm -hmm. um and we started doing some sound effects and some ui design for products and that's where uh facebook heard of us and had us do uh all of the sounds for messenger which was just coming out and so that's how we got into it And from there, that brought us over to Facebook, and that's how I'm there.
0: Before we go there, I'm very curious about this. During that run-up time where you're trying to... You first start doing, like, outside of Guitar Hero, Uh you start doing sounds for video games. Right. Describe to me the typical day. (laughs) Like, are you literally just like, we need to go to the bow and arrow shop, right? Right, right. And you're literally like, bong, Mm -hmm. bong, bong. And literally with a mic doing that for 10 hours.
1: Yeah, you can. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I remember one day we were doing some sound effects work for a a, a horror movie and it was, you know, the splatter day. So it was... <laughs> the splatter day. And everything is covered in, you know, visqueen and, and tarps and there's nothing but like watermelons and cantaloupes and celery and all this stuff in the studio. And it really is about you know protecting the microphones but you know using sledgehammers and saws on these different things and it was a crazy day but yeah it was at least 6 hours of playing around with that stuff
0: and so did you put up say tarp or oh, yeah. or, or, or or um newspaper or whatever oh, the whole inside place. the studio or oh, did yeah. you go to a warehouse no and we did just it. Record it? no we did okay. it
1: in the studio wow yeah Yeah. And, and other, and other practical effects too, where you're like, you were, you know, mentioned like a bow and arrow, Mm -hmm. we might just say, well, what is that sound? It's string against a resonant thing. So we might actually build a little prop or tie a string to something and just see what it sounds like. And so you can just play with those, you know, physical objects and just record hours of it and go through and edit and pick the best parts you like and Then you can process it a million different ways.
0: I bet you had sound effects coming out your ears. <laughs> Do you ever have a night where you woke up at three in the morning, like,
1: "Oh, that's it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> matter of fact, most of us keep these little digital recorders around all the time. Wow, because you might stand there and your washing machine might be making a weird noise. You go ahead and record it, and all of a sudden you slow it down and it's and it's a it's a a ship in a sci-fi video game or whatever. I mean, it could be anything. What I've been dealing with mostly is, you know, creating sort of much smaller sounds that are, you know, usually intended more for mobile use, either in an app or something like that. And that's another really different kind of challenge. It's such a small space and you have to be very careful with making sounds too big for the phone to handle. And you, there's all these techniques that we've been using, but it's a, it's a, it's a completely different discipline to design that small and think thinking about how many times that sound's going to play and all these important factors. Mm-hmm. So, so, it's,
0: so the size of the phone from a tangible and visual standpoint plays into the sound that is pleasing or that makes sense. I think
1: so. And I think especially with things that are really repetitive. We have a term that uh, my boss Will coined quite a while back when we were working on Messenger is repetitive tolerance how many times can that sound play before it drives you crazy and if it does maybe that's not the sound maybe we're in the wrong direction there's a frequency that's annoying something and you try to chase down what it may or may not be you may have to go back to the drawing board but we are really really conscious about that in our design work
0: when you are stress testing repetitive tolerance are you saying there's some days where it's like, hey, I think we got the sound, so put it on repeat, Yeah, and it's playing in the background for hours at a time? Absolutely. Is there a threshold at which you're like, you know what, if we can make it past this point? I don't know that there's
1: a re- measurable one, but I think the ones that aren't working, you know pretty quick. There you go. You know, and I think that's a good sign if, if it's been playing for a while, and you aren't like drawn to it every single time that's probably good because in the real world of course you're not going to ever hear it that way and if the sound is designed well like i think you know we call it pop ting everyone calls it pop ting from messenger i think that's a really good example of something that you hear it becomes iconic after a while and you can hear that all the time and it it's still pleasing and it still gets your attention and Tells you you got a message.
0: With respect to Messenger, you pretty much designed all the sounds that you hear, right?
1: Yeah, myself, uh, Will Littlejohn, and our team. And we both, he and I worked very closely in that era uh, when we were just starting to sort of build this sound design team that he wanted to, you know, yeah. build out over there. And so, and it's been very successful. Our team is growing. We have amazing people in all areas.
0: So, when you started, how many people?
1: We started maybe with five, I think, five or six, maybe. Where are you at now? I, maybe 80-something. <laughs> wow. I almost lost, have lost track. I'm sure. And we're spread out a little bit now, too. We have uh, some people up in the Seattle office. Oh, wow.
0: Uh, one of the things I always bring up, the difference between good decoration and good design. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: good decoration, you notice. Good design, you don't notice, right? Exactly. Um, before we started the podcast, we, we were just basically talking about a whole bunch of stuff, riffing. And one of the things that Scott brought up that was really interesting was before you can start designing the sound, the most important thing before that is to figure out if a sound is even needed. Yep. How do you determine that?
1: Well, there's a, couple, there's a few different ways we do. Um, sometimes we'll just design for every single action if it's an app let's just say for argument's sake it's an app and there's some screens there's some menus maybe you know whatever the functions of the app are we might hit them all knowing that we might not use a lot of it just to see like how cluttery will it get you know and then and then you can also sort of start determining which sounds played when you were designing when you're going back through it really felt like, oh, I needed that, I needed that feedback. Whereas this back button, eh, maybe not so much, mm-hmm. or, you know, and, and I think we do that internally pretty well. We have a, a, what, you know, meetings where we talk about all these things, but I, I think really it just takes doing these things over and over too. where, you know, we were in such new ground when we did messenger it was it was an entirely new thing in a way uh that you can sort of tell when things are working you can sort of tell when things are getting cluttery and that will start telling you this sound really isn't needed and the next time that action comes around in a future product or something similar we might say okay now normally we don't hit an action like that because you don't need the feedback. It doesn't tell you anything. It's just putting a noise on a button to put a noise on a button. And that doesn't do anything for the product yeah. or for the user. It'll confuse the user.
0: Has there ever been a time where the sounds were cluttery, but you still came to the conclusion that you needed each sound? Sometimes. Yeah. But we're also just
1: really, we're so careful about clutter. Yeah. It's really important. It's that that,
0: repetitive tolerance. uh, It's
1: repetitive tolerance. Cross a bunch of sounds. It just, it makes, it makes a a useful experience less useful. And that is not what you want to do. You want to make a useful experience really useful. Yes. Or a okay experience, really delightful, like really fun to use. And so that's kind of our, that's sort of the disciplines that we think about when we're working on these products and stuff.
0: Have you ever designed sounds that have a musical connotation to kind of subconsciously let you know that you're doing this action?
1: I have played with pitch much in design. Some just exploration kind of stuff. Or exploratory apps that may never see the light of day. They're just, let's build this to see if we can build it and let's see what we can make out of it. I've done a few projects where I really thought about pitch going in do you want to start a little lower as you get towards the completion? Does it does it go up? You know, The only problem with that is you have to be kind of careful because you can get very gimmicky mm-hmm. by accident. So there's a lot of ideas like that that sound like, oh, I'm going to do that. That's really cool. Then realize that, oh, actually, because the pitch keeps going up, it actually feels like you're making more tension. Mm-hmm. And that would be the opposite of what you want to do. So it's really... There's a lot of experimentation involved uh, for me, anyways. Uh, I really try a lot of different ideas to see what feels like that feels good or that potentially might not feel so good.
0: Are there times where you want to create tension, though? Like, say, for example, uh, you have a text box where the maximum number of characters or words that you can use is, say, 250, right? Yeah. So you may have the get louder. Or have a specific sound to it as you approach the 250.
1: Yeah. I've never worked on a product exactly like that, but that would probably fall into something where if there's a, maybe like your phone has a sort of a low battery warning. There you go. Maybe as it gets further on, it gets more intense. Yeah. So you can kind of take things like that and use, like that would create tension in real life if you knew that that was happening. So if you have an audio cue that's telling you that's what's happening, it might be okay to play a little bit with a warning, maybe a little bit of tension because you want to alert the user that your battery's about to go. So that would be a good example of that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So you worked on Messenger. Yeah. On mobile. And later you rolled it out on PC or, Mm -hmm. you know, computers and everything. And So now I believe the big thing is VR. VR is very big. Augmented reality as well.
1: AR is very big. I worked... um, pretty extensively with an AR project that I'm really proud of that is in the co-presence video chat hardware called Portal. Okay. It's a device where you can have sort of a direct link with your relatives and when you walk in the room it senses that you're there. It might say, Hey, you want to call your grandma or something? And then it'll you can go, Yeah, call grandma and it'll call grandma and you can have a video chat. And the part that I worked on that I'm really proud of is a feature in it called storytime. And I was lucky enough to be on the team that created all of the music and all of the special effects for these little AR, augmented reality, fairy tales and interactive bedtime stories and fun children's stories, where the storyteller appears as the character in different masks. The kids get to interact and shout back and it's all set up so they can interact and do these stories in real time and I did music score for about three of the releases that came out and some effects too and really proud of the work that everyone did on that it's an amazing product it's never been done before none of the team that was building it knew how to do it when we started to do it they all figured out the tech to make it work and we figured out how to write music for it and do the sound effects to make it work and bring the stories to life. And they're amazing and they're really fun and they're very popular.
0: If you and I were doing that and you were telling me a story, right? would I see your normal background with a different face or are you manipulating the entire 360 and it's almost like we're in Disney World? Or you would be Fantasy watching
1: World? basically a screen and my face would be, I would be the big bad wolf, like in a mask, like an AR mask. And there, there would be scenes that would play out, animated scenes, As you change through the story, the different backgrounds change and the characters change and you say your narration and then you turn into the pig and, you know, so it's it's really, they're really, really clever. The stories have all been somewhat updated and funnier and a little bit more contemporary and they're just fantastic.
0: AR with augmented reality, you're taking what you see right and putting an overlay over it. exactly whereas vr is a completely new world
1: right vr is the immersive 360 degree environment mm. it's full world environment so it's everything it's everywhere i've worked a little bit in in the uh, vr space and it's really it's a whole different ball of wax um spatialized audio is is required when you're doing that and that's a strange piece to get your head around when you're have been working in linear recording or, or MIDI or sequencing all your life Mm -hmm. to, to think about sound in that manner. It's like going from
0: one dimension to three dimensions. Yeah,
1: And exactly. It's just incredible. It's going like to all dimensions. It's just the weirdest thing. So I I don't work all the time in that environment, but the whole team is very focused on make, bringing the best audio tools and the best audio to, uh those VR experiences that Facebook's producing and other companies are producing and games are producing and it's just crazy I can imagine yeah,
0: before we got on the podcast, you had explained how even though you're in this VR immersive experience that's three dimensional for the the user, you do design three dimensionally the sound of just the scenario in which you're in, but then once the user <coughs> has to then manipulate this space. And I guess the example I give is if you if you as a user in this three-dimensional world press pause and want to go to your settings menu mm-hmm. and a new menu pops up, right. that menu that comes up is in two dimensions, at least right now, correct?
1: Right, yeah. It just like maybe it looks like a panel that floats or something like correct. that. Correct. That you can interact with somehow.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so the way in which you go about designing sound within your manipulation of this, say, dashboard is different than the way in which you go about designing sound in a three dimensional space.
1: I think so for something like that, for the UI portion of those, where you're going through menus and whatnot, the design might be similar to what you would do in another product possibly, but, and you would have all the same concerns, right? You would have a lot of repetitive tolerance concerns mm. because usually you're pointing at something with a pointer or you're doing it with a crosshairs with your head or eye movement right to do the select and so you're going to be rolling over a lot of items and so you wouldn't you want you've got to be really careful so that's those considerations seem like a given when you're working in a when you're seeing one that's been designed well right but if it wasn't you would not like the experience you might not even know why so it's really important it's a more thought goes into that stuff than anyone would ever think.
0: Imagine. Yeah. Because it's almost it's like you more, have to you have to be programmers to a certain extent outside of the sound because in essence what you're saying is if you're scrolling over say a list of 100 different sure. things on a drop down, right? And you flick your thumb and it goes, right? right? You don't want to hear the tar, tar. so in essence, you have to program that function to basically say, hey, if the person is selecting this item right. within this space of time or greater then make a sound right but if it's less than this space of time do not make a sound
1: right you could do that yeah and and that you know that of course would be handled by the programmers on the other okay effect. so Back, and, and in no yeah.
0: situations do you work hand in hand with yes. them or okay
1: okay absolutely yeah you would definitely try to Work hand in hand at some point. You might design up to a certain point, get you know, figure out what's what's the sound we're gonna at least try in this thing. And then work with them how with the engineers on how to implement that sound and put it in there and how it should behave and how it shouldn't behave and so there's a lot of consideration for a lot of those things. I can imagine. It's amazing. It's very in depth.
0: And uh, before you'd also mention about I think spaces, which is kinda like the virtual conferencing for yeah, people.
1: On spaces which is like a hangout area. You have, you are able to manipulate, grab photos, take a snapshot of your friend's avatar, grab a selfie stick, you can grab all these tools. It's really interesting to interact in that environment. You can play games, you can throw up some 360 degree photographs, and then you can grab each one of these things as a globe and open it. And then whoever's in that room with you can be in wherever your photo was in 360 in virtual reality. So you can share photos of environments that you've taken with a 360 camera and share them with your friends and you're all standing in the, you know, in Union Station or under the Capitol Dome or whatever. So it's it's amazing that you can do that now. And it's, we worked on that.
0: As an innkeeper, <laughs> I have a question. Sure. Do you think, say within the next, let's say within the next uh, 10 years, right? So before 2030, that that type of technology will become either so prevalent or so realistic that it'll have a significant impact upon leisure travel? That's a really good question. Um, it quite
1: possibly could. I don't know. I mean, you know, there. you've seen like in sci-fi movies when they look at virtual reality in the future people usually have to suit up to a suit that probably has some sort of you know haptics or some kind of way to make you feel things in the virtual world Mm -hmm. like temperature or any of those things right Uh so if you know you'd have to look at you know like ready player one or something where everything is experience so if that experience if you Look, you know, look, went into that environment and it was the ocean and you felt ocean spray and you smelled ocean mm. spray and you were cold and you felt like you were standing in sand. And when you put your hand down in the sand, it felt like you had sand in your hands, even though it was all virtual. That might be enough for someone to go, I feel like I've been there, even though they haven't. I don't think you'll ever totally replace it. But I think one good thing about it though is think about how many people could experience different places on the globe and you could do it with your friends virtually yeah. together right yeah. and so there's a huge argument for that too. It's like we can't all go there, but here we can at least experience what it looked like yes, we could talk about it
0: so outside of the the kinetic side yeah. right just let's say it's purely visual right like I think about uh Venice right I went to Venice. Italy I, I don't I went there I saw it I don't feel the need to have to go back uh-huh. mind you it was very beautiful sure for something like that do you think it will cause people to say you know what I don't need to go to Venice now
1: I don't know I don't know because I still think it's also about you know the people that you meet and the other people that you connect with yeah and connecting with that shared experience with other people that are either there or that have been there hmm so I, I don't want to think it'll replace it, but I think that it will certainly enhance it. It will certainly let people who never could go to experience it. I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. I don't think it will replace it completely.
0: Last question before the seven questions. Okay. You briefly touched on when we talked about um, how you got into uh, doing sound design for Facebook. Um, you said before you started Wave Group doing mm-hmm. Guitar Hero and um, the other video games you were <coughs> right. programming sound for. You were a touring musician. Oh, yeah. Give well, us the rundown.
1: Uh, I started playing very young. Okay. How old? Uh, um, I probably started playing piano, maybe in third grade, maybe seven. Okay. And drums at eight. By 10, I was playing drums with my father in New Orleans-style jazz bands.
0: Wow. What did your father play?
1: He played clarinet. Okay. Clarinet and saxophone.
0: And this is in New Orleans or just no, no, New orleans No, no, no. In style? California. Okay.
1: And... Uh, That graduated me playing in pop bands and going to music school and stuff like that. And we just, I ended up in a couple local bands, one of which started to take off. We toured, uh, the band was called Leo Swift. We toured from 81 until 92. Wow. Yeah. All over the place. you had
0: an 11-year stint as a touring musician.
1: Yeah. Wow. And then even after that, at from ninety two until two thousand four, I lived in Hawaii, and played in one of the house bands at a couple of the really popular clubs over there.
0: Not a bad gig. Not a
1: bad gig. Lived on the beach, played music five, six, seven nights a week. I could not I couldn't really complain. It wasn't you know <laughs> really, completely no. lucrative, but you know you was, don't really it was complain a good, uh, about that quality of life. Yeah, he just wasn't a concern. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's when about the time when uh, when Will Littlejohn called me back. And he said, I got a project and I'm going to fly you out to do it.
0: And was he a band member in Leo's? Yes. Okay. Yes. What did he, he play? play? He
1: had, he played keyboards and percussion.
0: Okay. And you played in, in Leo's? Yeah.
1: We had two keyboards. It was a big band. Okay. Oh. Leo, Leo Swift was an 80s like pop band. Okay. And we had a horn section, which was really cool. Uh, so yeah, he, he had formed a wave group over the years. And when he called and said, I got this thing. And it was, it was Karaoke Revolution. Mm-hmm. And... He just made me a deal. He said, if you stop playing gigs and if this goes to sequel, which it it will, (laughs) then I'm going to hire you, but you have to move back from Hawaii. To San Francisco. Yeah. And I kind of thought about it and normally my scared self would go, well, no, I've got my house gigs. I'm kind of set. Mm -hmm. And about two seconds later, I just said, yeah, I'll do it. There's something in me just clicked and went, I think I'm done with this for a while. Yeah. And it ended up that I was just done with it because the minute I started there, I was doing projects that I just couldn't believe I was working on. PBS documentaries and educational series that won an Emmy for me scoring horror films. You know what I mean? I'm (laughs) I'm standing up right now. (laughs) So it was a big life change, right? Like that was a huge moment to shift, Mm -hmm. but I don't, I don't miss it really. I look back on that first part of my life and went, yeah, I did that. Yeah. We opened up for
0: tons of people. You had two 11 to 12 year stints as being a, like that's a, that's a lifetime yeah, for some people. Almost, it, yeah, my whole life. And then to have this start over and
1: then be like a new career born out of that. But it was, it was a great learning experience and a great evolution to get to where we all are now.
0: Let's get to the seven questions. Oh God, Are you ready? I think so. All right. What's it called, what? y'all? It's the it's the it's the Yeah, the question Question number one to add to the library.
1: It's called it's The Design of Ordinary the Things. The everyday Things. I'm sorry. The Design of Everyday Things. It's a wonderful book. It talks a lot about how design should imply to you what the thing does, obviously. There's a description in the book about doors. Like doors are pretty easy to work. They open or they shut, right? And we maybe it's happened to you. I know it's happened to me When you walk up to a building that's got some modern design and you hit the door and it goes BAM! And it doesn't open. <laughs> so now you try to pull it, right? You're going to try all the things that your brain is going to comb through when it should have been obvious, either that you had to pull or push. Yes. If there's a handle, it, that doesn't tell you it anything. Yes. Right now, if there's not a handle, but a plaque that might tell you for whatever reason, it's a push or something, right? So there's a lot of examples like that about design and how it could go bad really quick on the simplest object you can think of like a door they seem obvious there's a way to design that door to tell the person without any sign it shouldn't even have to say push and pull that's one of his points i feel the same way about user interactive sound user interaction sound i feel like it needs to have the same obvious function and tell you with oral feedback what it is that you did whether or not it's a like the post sound to Facebook that makes you feel, oh, I, I posted something cool, you know? Mm-hmm. you know, Or the very simple buttons that you hear that just help you know that you're guiding yourself through some different tabs. The like sound. It's pretty obvious with the thumb and you get that lovely, you know, right? So that- oh, That was good. <laughs> it's, it's basically that kind of function really has a, a feedback to you. You see it. It's it's very functional, so I think that's that's where I think it ties in with audiovisual design or product design.
0: I'm an extreme fan of function, way. so yeah, I may need to get this book. It's funny too. Know, I'm going to get this book. Yeah.
1: it's a really it's really interesting. It's fascinating. All right,
0: question number two. <laughs> yeah, podcast subscribe.
1: Ooh, um, well, I think one of our favorites was always. I don't, we haven't listened to it in a while, but the. Um, I think it's called Welcome to Night Vale. Have you heard of that one? its It's been around for a while, and it's just It's very off the wall, creepy, not quite horror, but twisted, <laughs> funny. I, I can't even put another word on it. It's satirical, and it's a town that something is very mysterious in it. Maybe they never tell you, and it's like listening to a night, nighttime radio announcer talk. About this weird town. It's truly bizarre and really entertaining.
0: Have you heard of uh, LeVar Burton Reads?
1: I have, and I have to say I haven't heard any of the podcasts yet, but I've heard of it.
0: Two guests have said that that is the podcast. Nice. And immediately when you were talking about like the Big Bad Wolf with the immersive AR telling the story time, I think that that would be just perfect for someone like him in the podcast world.
1: I think so too. And I have heard that too from, from...
0: Coworkers About About LeVar Burton? Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're obsessed with it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All
0: right. Question number three. Something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it.
1: My wife. Great answer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave it right there. (laughs) All right.
0: Question number four. Bucket list place to travel. This question is a place in the world that you have been to that you'd recommend the listeners add to their bucket
1: list. Okay. I think it's going to be Amsterdam. If okay. you've never been to Amsterdam, that was the most one of the most amazing cities I've ever seen. Why so? There's a lot. One of the things that amazed me was it seems more egalitarian there. There's something more democratic there that I felt. And what what we noticed it most in is the way that the streets are like a free-for-all. Most of them are close to traffic, so they're all bicycles driving around like crazy. Yes. No one's getting hurt. On the, on the ones where they share with cars, they actually removed the streetlights because it was causing too many problems. What that did was it brought that negotiation down, that micro-negotiation between driver and bicycle rider. Everyone over the years learned how to do it. No one gets hurt. No one really even stops almost and it flows. It's a really interesting social thing to see. So, we don't have that anywhere here.
0: <laughs> might that, in a sense, speak to the fact of maybe, I can't believe I'm saying this, yeah. traffic sign, uh, uh, street lights may not be the most efficient design? That's exactly right. In this city, it wasn't because the
1: streets are too small and the flow was getting too big. Everyone's on a bicycle. I can't explain to you how many people are on bicycles.
0: Oh yeah no I've been I, there. Mean, I Okay I, I, so I, you yes, know I, and
1: you yes. know those massive like multi-level bicycle parking garages packed with tens of thousands of bicycles.
0: Yeah and the, the side of the street where it's like yeah. you lock your bike yeah. and you just can't find yeah. anything. It's just
1: it's it's amazing how if a society wants to fix something like that that's a problem it actually can be fixed. And it really boiled down to that social interaction.
0: That's a great answer. Italy
1: is great, but yeah, I would say of all of the the traveling that we have done in the last several years, that place really stood out
0: to me. All right. Number five, 50-mile detour restaurant. Ooh. So if you're within 50 miles of this restaurant, you would be willing to detour off your intended path of travel just to eat here. I wish I had like
1: a really fancy, cool restaurant, but I swear if I was within 50 miles... Of an original Tommy's in L.A., I would detour for a chili burger and a chili dog.
0: Okay, original Tommy's. Tell me about that.
1: It's it's this old fashioned place in L.A. It's been there for I guess it's maybe since the I want to say the '40s. It might even be earlier. It's been there a long time. And it, it's still there. Still there, and they franchised out, but they're not in Northern California. Oh. So
0: I sit in San Francisco. So anytime you go to L.A. You beeline it Like I try so hard
1: to make it I didn't make it there Last time I was there So next time
0: (laughs) And what did you say Do you order When you go there Oh
1: that's gotta be The Yeah the chili cheeseburger And there you don't You don't even say chili You just say cheeseburger It comes with the chili on it It's great
0: And (laughs) So did you grow up In like LA
1: I was born in Anaheim But my parents moved To Northern California When I was pretty young Okay But had relatives And visited a lot down there And then throughout the 80's We worked a lot down there So
0: Number six Yes Your number one skill your number one craft that you've honed over the years?
1: Probably digital audio editing and synthesis. Those are probably two things that I've taught myself. And it's the skill and you know, that you have to learn. Yeah. And it's definitely learnable. It's just <laughs> yeah. a lot of learning. I'm a
0: testament to that. <laughs> yeah.
1: So yeah, that would probably be it.
0: What audio editing software do you use?
1: I'm almost exclusively use Pro Tools. Really? Yeah. That one I'm not familiar with, but yeah, I have most of the sound designers I know and and film composers usually work exclusively in Pro Tools. But um, a lot of my composer friends don't. Mm -hmm. They'll either use Ableton or Cubase, even Logic. Okay. So those are the two other popular ones that I see. It's mostly Logic users or Ableton.
0: Last one. Your number one talent. Your number one innate proficiency.
1: Probably just music. I think I got very lucky. I had pretty musical family, pretty musical upbringing, but I caught on to my instruments very quickly. And so that would probably be my innate skill was just picking up my instruments and learning them. And another thing that I I know that I have that's sort of weird is a, a really good ear, which has really served me well with compositions, whether it's, you know, someone needs a song that sounds like super industrial aggressive music or something that sounds like, you know, Bach or when you had know, a John Williams, something that sounds like John Williams, you know, or something like that. I'm able to listen to those things, use what theory I have in my background, but I can hear like I can pick out individual instruments within a recording. Mm-hmm. So I can listen to each one and go, Oh, I know what that one's doing.
0: In the middle of yeah. a multi track. Yeah. Like, like I can that's hear a song a real talent right there. And
1: listen to it and go, Oh, he played that hi hat part differently the second time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Something that minuscule I can kind of pick out. And that's been something that's really served me well over the years with creating, composing, recreating, arranging. So,
0: Are you good with pitch? Like in terms of understanding somebody's out of key?
1: i have pretty sensitive here. I don't have perfect pitch at all. I have, re- I have relative. So if I already have the note in my head stuck and then someone else sings one, I can tell you what it is. Yeah. But within reason if I know if I've got the key buried in my head I it's really easy for me but yeah I don't have perfect pitch though gotcha yeah
0: Scott this yes. has been Ready? an amazing amazing oh, thanks amazing for having me on man. I really appreciate it this is it. great man it was I really fun I like stuff. your setup this is very cool thank you thank you Yeah. Uh, you got any social media or anything your Facebook you want to plug that for a listen
1: Oh really you know uh, <laughs> uh, I would just say if if you're a, a creator out there I would say visit creator uh, the Facebook creator site I would look for the Facebook sound collection uh, because that's a place where you can find uh, incredible music by global artists some of the best composers around producers uh, some Grammy award winning, Grammy nominated, Emmy award winning, composers and producers and artists from India to Brazil to New York to London, incredible music for use in your video projects that you upload to Facebook, Uh, completely free, sound effects too, so it's a great little site, great little
0: resource for music. Is Facebook at all looking to dip their toe in the podcast world in the coming years? I don't know, I don't know. Well, keep me in mind if they do. All right. <laughs> I can give you some feedback. Will do. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been yet another wonderful edition of Guestbook Podcast. As you already know, I'm Inkeeper Freddy. If you want to reach me, shoot me an email Innkeeper at UnionNDC.com. We're on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, at DC, at Guestbook Pod, and at innkeeper freddy again scott thank you so much oh, thanks for it. appreciate it and ladies and gentlemen we will see you next week So, you and Will, Little Uh-oh. John, and the guys from the sound design team in Facebook. Yeah. Are you all the house band for the Facebook annual I Christmas wish. party?
1: I wish. I really do.
0: You should see his face right <laughs> now. He's so serious. You
1: know, I know. That actually, totally to be fair, every any of those things that I've been to, the entertainment that has been there has been top-notch, like unbelievable